The year was 1903 when the Tsar of Russia happened to notice uh, one day that there was a soldier who was standing at what appeared to be a random spot on the Kremlin grounds. He took notice of it and the next day he looked out and that soldier was standing in the same spot like a sentry who was posted there. And, and day after day, for a few days in a row, he saw this same soldier coming out and he was posted right there at that same spot in the yard. And it looked random. So finally, he questioned what the meaning of it all was. And he learned that more than 125 years earlier, in 1776, Catherine the Great had found on that very spot the first flower of spring that year. Post the century here, she demanded, so that no one tramples this flower underfoot. Year after year. For 125 plus years, day after day, a soldier was posted, a soldier was posted to guard a spot that once 125 years before had a flower that sprung up the first flower. You see, some traditions die really hard. And sometimes change is a little bit like that, isn't it? Sometimes these traditions don't happen because a needed change hasn't been initiated. Now, where the circumstances I just shared was so easily changed with just an order, just a, and somebody taking, uh, taking notice of what's going on. Can we all admit that sometimes change isn't so easy? Sometimes it comes hard. Sometimes change comes with pain. And because of that, often it takes quite a bit of courage to initiate a change in our life. Amen. And, and we've experienced that. That can, we can be there. Sometimes it takes a great deal of courage to effect positive change. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, a pure Jew, if you will. As a teenager, he was a disciple of a renowned Pharisee by the name of Gamaliel. What a name. He had a compelling belief in God and was very religious which no doubt was his driving force in his decision to become a Pharisee. To become a Pharisee in his time and his culture was one of the highest um, aspirations that a young Jewish man could have. You couldn't just decide to do this. You had to find someone willing to take you on and train you in this. Very few even had the opportunity to train to become a Pharisee, but this one made it. He was blessed with a keen mind and a tenacious spirit. He was a tireless worker and he was a deep thinker. He was the type of person who, once he decided on a course of action, was doggedly driven to make sure that he would see it through. He had discipline and he was willing to sacrifice in order to accomplish what he had set his mind to. He was trained as a lawyer, as a very young man. He routinely outpaced people of his own age and he rose up through the ranks of leadership and of notoriety. Because he had accomplished so much as a Pharisee at such a young age, he was highly regarded and respected by that community and became one of their leaders. This man sounds like 
a guy that if we were today, if I were in a graduation ceremony for college or something, and I was describing a young man and I was saying these are their this person's quality, a lot of us will say, man, that's that's good material right there. That's a guy on his way up. He's a pretty talented person. He's a pretty good guy. It would be good to have things like this said about us. But the thing about this young man is that when he was a young man, the Apostle Paul, who was then Saul, was driven by a heart full of hatred and rage against God's only son, Jesus Christ. All the while, as he's driven by all these thoughts... Saul was one who was absolutely thinking, I'm doing the will of God by trying to destroy the work of this man named Jesus Christ. I have to give him this. He wasn't a fake person. He was openly pursuing his what he thought was the truth. He was openly going out against the church of that day, even though because of his own ideas of how things should be, he was deeply deceived. You see, Saul is a great example, illustration of, uh, an illustration of the fact that living with a purpose alone isn't enough. And in fact, when we live with the wrong purpose and we're driven, uh, we can be very dangerous people. Many terrorist acts have been, been performed by people who are totally misguided by a purpose. And so the wrong purpose can lead us to the wrong uh, result. This is our second week in our brief series that I have called The Real Deal. You were here last week. And you might remember, if you were here, how I talked about some of my own personal frustrations with the presidential election process. I told you that most of my frustrations lie with the people running for office and for those organizations and people around them running or or helping them run for the office. I mentioned how it's a challenge for me to decipher the real person from the persona that they they present uh, when they are running for an office. In other words, I want to know who's telling the truth. Are they actually Going to do the things that they're saying that they're going to do? Are they actually standing for the things that they say they stand for? Or are they fakey? I don't like fakey people. And I think most of us are like that. We don't want people who are fake. We want the real deal. I certainly want the real deal person running our country, being our president. Amen. That's who I want. I don't want somebody phony. I don't want somebody fake. I don't want somebody to stand up there and say, I represent this and I believe this and then not do what they promise to do. Sounds something like some of our politicians, doesn't it? And again, don't get scared. That's as political as I'm getting. But I'm saying to you, folks, that's that's something that matters to us. But in real life, apart from politics, isn't it true that we prefer people to just be who they represent themselves to be? We want the real deal. That's what I want. I do better with the real deal. Even if you uh, completely would be opposed to what I believe in and what I stand for, if I know you're genuine, I can deal with that. I like people who are just telling me the truth. I'm okay if somebody would walk up and have totally different political views with me and totally different beliefs about the Lord God. All of that, I can deal with real people. It's those fake, phony, fakey people that I don't like. It's the, some of our celebrities are here. Let's be honest about it. Oh, my word, they drive me nuts. 
And, and, and that's what I, I want us to examine. What it is to be the real deal. Last week we, we looked at the last moments of who a person I consider to be a real deal person by the name of Stephen. And we looked at the fact that it takes courage to be the real deal. For Stephen, he showed courage to stand. He knew he was about to die. He knew he was going to be stoned. And he did not back down from it. Stephen had the courage to stand on the truth, stand on his commitment to Jesus, and stand on love. And he did that. And I can't wait one day to meet Stephen in heaven and just tell him, you inspire me. Your love for Christ, your commitment to the Lord. So inspirational. Man that I've been talking to you about this morning, Saul, his, his first, his name first shows up in the book of Acts at chapter 7. And that's who he was when he encountered Stephen. He was this young man I was telling you about. Connected with the stoning of Stephen, Acts 1 or 8, 1 gives us this account. And Saul was there giving approval to Stephen's death. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. A brief intersection of two lives. Two men who were ultimately the real deal as I see it. The thing is, though, in order for Saul to become the man that he would eventually turn out to be, he had to have the courage to change. And I suggest to you that sometimes it takes a great deal of courage to let God change you. So Saul was a central person behind the persecution of the church of Jesus Christ. The church in Jerusalem was scattered because of this persecution. Acts 8.3 says, so Saul began, listen, to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women, and he put them in prison. Let me share with you some of Paul's uh, own descriptive words, just of who he was. This is found in Philippians chapter 3. This is what Paul said of himself after God had effected change. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. You see what Paul was saying of himself? That's who I was. I was the worst of the worst. I was the rottenness of all sinners. That's who he described himself to be. A drastic change, though, occurred in young Saul. In fact, everything changed in this man. There was a moment that is captured in the scripture where he was confronted by the Lord God. And I'd like for you to just pause, put your put your finger on the pause button for a second and just uh, let me throw this out as a sort of an aside and I'll get right back to the scripture we're going to look at together. 
once in a while, we all have that time in our lives where we need to be confronted by God. And when we come face to face with the reality, something needs to change. Will you keep that as a foundational thought as we move forward? Because this is the the moment for Saul. This is his moment when God stood in his way and said, you're going the wrong way. Some of you already are doing this because you've been here. Let me read this. Acts 9 verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. And so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he could, not, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So while Saul is in the midst of carrying out his goal to destroy and wipe out everyone who loved Jesus Christ, he was literally knocked off his animal by the light. And I'm reminded, by the way, that Jesus said something there. I am the light of the world. The Bible tells us that the light of God shined on him and it was so intense it knocks him to the ground. And it turns out that this light, of course, is Jesus. Jesus spoke to Saul and that day he opened his spiritual sight while blinding him physically. Jesus got Saul's attention and eventually got his heart here. Saul on that spot was converted to Jesus Christ. And what he did not believe in before, he certainly believed now. He knew without a shadow of doubt that Jesus is the Son of God. That was the catalyst moment that changed everything for Saul. After that moment, he would become one of the most prominent ministers that ever graced this planet and ever showed up in this beautiful book. In fact, he becomes an apostle, the Apostle Paul. And he fell from that moment completely in love with Jesus to the point where he said, for me to live is, is Christ. And if I die, that's a gain because I get to go to heaven. What does the devil do with somebody like that? And so he fell in love with the Lord. And in his own words, Paul's huge ego, in his own words, was crucified. And he willingly became a servant of Jesus Christ. Every day he woke up and he said, I do this every day. I die so that God can live through me. Every day I live for Jesus and because of Jesus. And I'm all about the Lord. There's an old song that um, a group... um, uh, DC Talk did this years ago. They did a song called Jesus Freak. Well, this is your original Jesus Freak, people. I mean, he was all about Jesus. He went from Christ hater to Christ lover and being totally devoted to him. I want to make some observations about this man who at one point in his life had to exercise the courage to change. 
And I want to suggest a few things from his crisis moment that may translate into our, our lives because somebody in this room needs change. Somebody in this room needs the message that the Lord has given me to preach here. So I would suggest to you first that a change in Saul was initiated with a God confrontation. I'm just going to tell you, I am so grateful that God loves us enough to stop us in our tracks and confront us once in a while. Amen. Aren't you glad he loves you that much? If you are born again here today, at some point, God stopped you and said, whoa, let's slow your roll, buddy. And began to show you things about your life and confronted you with where you were going. You're going in the wrong direction. I'm thankful that my self-destructive path was interrupted by a loving God. Amen. Now, it may not be as dramatic as Saul experienced. I, I don't know if any of you need that kind of experience, that you're that thick-headed and so bullheaded uh, bull and hard-hearted that God has to knock you off your feet with a beam of light. Some of us are about that hard-headed, aren't we? Some of you got knocked on your rear end. You know who you are. You know what happened. You know how God did it. But I'm grateful that Jesus loves us enough to get our attention. And it starts, if you are born again today and you have a right relationship with God, you're there because God confronted you one day along life's road. He stopped you in your tracks and he made you come face to face with this. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're headed in a bad direction and you're going to destroy yourself and you're going to hurt people in the process. And I thank God. You see, as brilliant as as Saul was, and he was, he was also utterly deceived. As smart as he was, he was totally deceived by his own education and his own belief system. First, he believed that if he carefully observed the rules, if he observed the law, if he followed all the rules, then he, he would be fine with God. He fell for the old trick, I'm a good person. You ever heard that one before when you're talking to somebody about God and their relationship with God? And let me promise you, if I were to go out into Northampton tomorrow and I were to walk the streets and I would just encounter people randomly and I would ask this question. Do you do you know what would happen to you? Would you are you pretty certain that you go to heaven when you pass away? A lot of people would give me an answer, something like this. I hope I would. And then if I would ask them, well, why is that? Why, why, why do you think you probably will? Well, I'm a good person. That's the first thing that comes out of our mouths. And can I just tell you something? I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. None of us are good. That's what the Bible says. And none of us are good enough to go to heaven. We can't do it. We're not good. And so he had that mistake. Listen, I follow all the rules. I go to church all the time. I tithe. I give money to the church. I do things, man. I serve God. I do all the things I'm supposed to do. I follow the rules. And the whole time he was absolutely deceived. And he had to have Jesus knock him on his back and say, Saul, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're persecuting me. And so all of his belief, all of his brilliance, all of his training, all the things that he had learned about being a rabbi and a Pharisee and all of that, none of it mattered. It was emptiness for him. He came to the point to believe that Jesus Christ was a fraud and not the real Messiah, although he, of course, is. And so what I said to you before, this is living proof of how even brilliant people can have a wonderful 
purpose in their life and be totally misguided and going in the wrong direction. So with all that he believed in, all that he trusted in, and he lived for, all of it was for nothing. It was not what he thought it was. It was not the will of God and it was not the work of God. And so Jesus confronted him. And again, let me say, in order for change to be initiated in your life, spiritual change especially, there has to be a point where God confronts you. And it's not always comfortable, is it? Let's just be honest about it. Sometimes it's very hard. But there's a point where Jesus will step up and stand in your way and say, listen, I just want you to know you're wrong. You're dead wrong about what you believe in. You're not a good person. Nobody's good except God. You're not good. And you're not good enough. And, and that's not easy for us to take because, see, humans love being in control of themselves, they think. And here's a problem. We can't. Your heart's not good enough. If you follow your heart, let me tell you where you're going to go. You're going to go to hell. I'm not trying to be mean. But if that's all you follow, you follow your heart. It's going to deceive you over and over and over and over again. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's deceitful above all things. Who can know it? The scripture's so real about this. And so there was a confrontation. God showed up in the life of Saul and knocked him down. And I say to you folks that that's a step that needs to happen to all of us. And I'm grateful for a Savior who will do this. Now, again, I admit that the circumstances for Saul were far more dramatic than mine were and so many of yours. But the initiation had to happen and God did it. God loves you. And at some point along the line, he may have to step up to you and call your name and say, I'm calling out to you because you're on the wrong road, buddy. You're headed to destruction, and I want to save you. I want you to trust me. I want you to put your life in my hands. Until a person has a crisis experience with Jesus Christ that results in a true change of heart and person or purpose, that person will never live a life that they are destined to live for as God has designed them to live. And their life will end up empty and, in the end, meaningless. That is truth. It may not be fun truth for you to hear today, but it is absolute biblical truth. Second thing that I want to suggest to you about this change is this change was embraced by Saul. Now, listen to me. This is where the courage uh, takes hold for, for Saul. Once the Lord got his attention and knocked him down and blinded him physically, Saul still had options. Just understand that. But he was made to see, I'm going in a direction that will hurt myself and hurt a whole lot of other people. He had already done it. And he came to realize this later on. He could have rejected the Lord right there on the spot. And by the way, so can you. God is not going to force you to love him. I wish sometimes, as I told you before, that God would just wave his mighty hand over me and poof, everything. Change it all just the way you want it to be, Lord, all in one spot. I used to believe that that's had to happen, and I used to believe I did the altar wrong. You see, I grew up in a church where everything spiritually that needed fixing, you went to the altar and you prayed. And as, as if you prayed right, somehow God was going to come and poof, and you were going to be filled with God and God's spirit. And, and you just automatically walk around impervious to sin. None of that's true. But I thought that that's what was happening. And I just thought if I can just get holy enough. And what I discovered was, no, you have to embrace a process where God changes you and keeps you in that on that relationship and on that road. 
And what I love about Paul, uh, Saul, is that he walked with God and he embraced the change. He didn't argue with God when he found out it was Jesus and that he was all wrong. He was willing to say, yep, I was blind, but now I see spiritually. And the Lord worked in his heart and Saul began to embrace the things that the Lord had for him. It changed the way he lived 180 degrees. He became a totally different person. He had to embrace the idea of leaving his old ways behind and living a brand new life. He had to embrace the idea of leaving his uh, fellow or fellow Pharisees and other people who influenced him so much behind to embrace Jesus Christ. He said, I've lost everything for the sake of Christ. And I'm glad I did because all of that's rubbish to me. That's a man who embraced goodness. Even his name got changed from Saul to Paul. He recognized that he needed to change and he had the courage to take all the steps that he had to take in order to change in my way of thinking. Paul's a real deal guy because he had the courage to admit he needed to change and he had to embrace it all. He had to admit he was wrong. He had to confess all of his sins. He had to surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ on his life. And he had to agree to do for his in his case to devote the rest of his life serving Jesus. And there was so much more that he had to do. And folks, let me just say this to you. You know, you're headed in a direction and the Lord confronts you and and tells you you're you're headed towards destruction and to repent is to turn around and to go with the Lord. But let me say, you have to continue to walk with him because a lot of people do this. And go right back to their old ways. It's okay for you, obviously, to accept that initial turn, that initial change of heart. But it takes courage to embrace the the change that God wants in your life. Because let me just say this to you. There is a possibility that if you follow Christ, he may lead you to different people to become your friends. And you may have people reject you. I'm just saying. You know, not not everybody in the world is going to like the fact that you no longer do the things that you used to do with them. And they're going to reject you. That's going to be part of embracing the change of walking with the Lord. Sometimes you're not going to be the popular person. I just, you might as well know that again, we'll go back to Stephen, that there will be times for the child of Christ when you feel like you have to just stand and you have to have the courage to stand and stand on the truth and your relationship and your commitment with Jesus Christ. To embrace the change may mean you change some of your behavior. It may mean you don't go places you used to go or watch things you used to watch or you don't do things that will hurt you spiritually. It may mean that you have to leave a whole lot of your life behind so that you can embrace a walk with the Lord. Paul or Saul first, then Paul had the courage to do it all. I don't think it was easy for him to look at his uh, former mentor, Gamaliel, this, this renowned teacher and just say to him when and I'm sure he was confronted by this man. I, I don't think it was real easy for Paul to say to his former teacher, listen, everything you taught me was wrong. And I now follow Jesus. Gamaliel hated Jesus. I'm sure Paul received a lot of tongue lashings from people in his family. All those Pharisees who respected him. No more. 
In fact, you will learn if you follow his life in scriptures. He was persecuted. He was killed. He was beaten. He, he was treated horribly because he followed Jesus. But he embraced the change because he said, I found something of so much more value than the things that I was pursuing. Do you have the courage to embrace a change that the Lord wants to make in your life? Oh, it's one thing to say, yeah, I'll do it. But then when you have to continue to walk in it every single day, oh, my word, it can be hard. It can be difficult. Sometimes people won't understand. Sometimes it's just hard. It's a little bit, uh, in some cases, like somebody trying to give up something that has been they're addicted to and they have cravings for it. Don't think that sin suddenly won't be attractive to you before, uh, again if you embrace following Jesus. No, sin will always have its attraction. It always will. And you have to resist those things and embrace walking with the Lord. So do you not back there? And that's the final thing that I want to mention to you. A change, I, I put it this way, a change was preserved by Paul. He not only embraced it, but he preserved it by burning the bridges to his past. And he had to do that, and so will we. There are things we have to leave behind in order to walk with the Lord. He had to see, and by the way, Saul was able to see, if you read his story, that there would be things he would sacrifice, and including his physical comfort, in order to live for Jesus and follow Jesus and embrace his walk with the Lord. He knew ahead of time suffering was on his plate. Now, I will tell you, Saul had a very difficult ministry. God raised him up for it, and God provided its strength for Saul. And he had to be all the things I described in the beginning of this message. Tenacious, intelligent, and all the things that he was. He had to have that in him to be able to stand the ministry that God gave him to do. He had a tough assignment, but he was able to do it. All of that said, he was still just a man, and he still felt the physical sensations of hunger, thirst, fear, uh, pain, all the things that you and I would experience. He experienced those things. But he was willing to do it because he he knew that the Lord had saved the worst of sinners. And he was going to preserve his walk with God by carefully walking in the steps of his Savior. He was going to follow Jesus until he got to meet him in glory. And Paul, a couple of times in scriptures when he wrote letters to churches, would say, pray for me that I will not... Be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't mean ashamed because he was embarrassed. He meant afraid to tell people about Jesus. Afraid to stand when he needed to stand in front of kings and governors or whatever. Paul had this heart. And he just wanted to follow the Lord. God had not confronted him and changed him for nothing. He loved the Lord. He was totally at the Lord's beckoning and he preserved the change that God had made in his life throughout his life. He finished strong and that took courage, but he did it. That took every day following through. I want to close our time in this message with you by telling you that I, I want to read a story that only lightly relates to what I'm, I'm saying here. But this spoke to me in such a way that I felt like I needed to share it with you and tell you why it struck me as it did. I don't know how many of you have heard of Pastor Jim Simula, but he's a man I respect greatly. He is the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Some of you have heard of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. 
And Pastor Jim began as pastor of that church several years ago with a very, very small number of people. And when he moved in, a white man, he moved into a community that was changing. And people were moving into that community who were not necessarily white. Lots of cultures moved into his community there in Brooklyn. He felt a call there. He wasn't a racist, and he stayed there, and he ministered. And a long story short, the Holy Spirit has blessed him and used him, and that church is responsible for so many life transformations, black, white, other races, people come into that church, and God does amazing things in their lives. And Jim has just been such a powerful minister for many years there in the streets of New York and, of course, there at his church. And he tells this story. Forgive me for reading a little bit, but I want you to hear it from his own words. It was Easter Sunday, and I was so tired at the end of the day that I just went to the edge of the platform and pulled down my tie. And I sat down and draped my feet over the edge of the platform. It was a wonderful service that morning with many people coming forward. The counselors were talking to these people. And as I was sitting there, I looked up the, the middle aisle. And there in about the third row was a man who looked about 50, disheveled and filthy. He looked up at me rather sheepishly as if to say, could I please talk to you? We have homeless people coming in all the time, asking for money and whatever. So as I sat there, I said to myself, though I'm ashamed to admit it, what a way to end a Sunday. I've had such a good time preaching and ministering, and here's this fellow probably wanting money for some more wine. He walked up. When he got within five feet of me, I smelled a horrible smell like I'd never smelled in my life. It was so awful that when he got close, I would inhale, inhale by looking away. And then I'd talk to him and then I would look away and inhale because I couldn't inhale facing him. I asked him, what's your name? David. Well, how long have you been on the street? Six years. How old are you, David? Thirty two. He looked 50, hair matted, front teeth missing, a wino, his eyes slightly glazed. Where did you sleep last night, David? In an abandoned truck. I keep in my back pocket a money clip that also holds some credit cards. I fumbled to pick one out thinking, I'll just give him some money. I won't even get a volunteer. They're all busy talking with others. Usually we don't give any money to people. We take them out and give them something to eat. But I took the money out. David pushed his finger in front of me and he said, I don't want your money. I want this Jesus, the one you were talking about, because I'm not going to make it. I'm going to die on the street. I completely forgot about David and I started to weep for myself. I was going to give a couple of dollars to someone God had sent to me. See how easy it is? I could make the excuse that I was tired, but there is no excuse. I was not seeing him the way God sees him. I was not feeling what God feels. But oh, did that ever change? David just stood there. He didn't know what was happening. And I pleaded with God, God, forgive me, forgive me, please forgive me. 
I am so sorry to represent you in this way. I am so sorry, God. Here I am with my message and my points, and you send somebody, and I'm not ready for it. Oh, God, forgive me. Something came over me, and suddenly I started to weep deeper. And then David began to weep, and he fell against my chest as I was sitting there. He fell against my white shirt and my tie. And I put my arms around him. And there we wept together. The smell of his person became a beautiful aroma. Here is what I thought the Lord made real to me in that moment. If you don't love this smell, Jim, I can't use you. Because this is why I called you here. This is why you are where you are. This is what you are about. You are about this smell. Christ changed David's life. He started memorizing portions of scripture that were incredible. We got him a place to live. We hired him in the church to do maintenance. And we got his teeth fixed. And he was a handsome man when he came out of the hospital. They detoxed him for six days. He spent Thanksgiving in my house. He also spent Christmas at my house. And when we were exchanging presents, he pulled out a little thing. And he said, this is for you. It was a little white hanky. It was the only thing he could afford. A year later, David got up and talked about his conversion to Christ in our church. And the moment he took the mic and began to speak, I said, this man is a preacher. And this past Easter, we ordained David. He is an associate minister of a church over in New Jersey now. And I was so close to saying, here, take this. I'm a busy preacher. We can get so full of ourselves and come forward. I shared this story because it struck me. I'm a pastor. And um, I don't want to ever do this. The Lord seemed to stand in front of me and say, Ken, I think you're a little too busy. And he spoke to me a little bit about how I get so taken up with the, the machinery of being a pastor. But I wasn't called here to operate machinery. I was called here for people who hurt. I was called here to love you, pray for you, pray with you, walk with you, help you, guide you if I can, be a shepherd. That's my call. You know what it struck me also in this story? That was David's moment. That was the moment when God confronted him and David began to embrace his change. He said something in that, if you heard me read it. He looked at Jim, and I love what he said to Pastor Jim when Pastor Jim tried to give him money. He put his finger up. He said, I don't want your money. I want this Jesus. Because I am going to die out here. I'm not going to make it. He knew at that moment the Lord had confronted him. David, you're not going to make it if you go one more step on your road. But I have a new way for you. And I just think about this man living in New Jersey today. And he's a pastor and he's serving the Lord in a church. And I guarantee you that brand new people who walk through that church would never know what God has done. But he's embracing his change. 
He took advantage of the confrontation that God made. And he said he had the courage. And this wasn't easy for David. You think it was easy for him to walk into that great big old church? And in that morning on Easter Sunday morning, make his way to that tired old preacher sitting there, you know, with his tie shoveled down, probably looking exhausted. You think it was easy for him? He, he even said, I, look, I looked and he's looking sheepishly at me. But I'm so glad that this man embraced that. And he took his opportunity for God to do a work in his life. I'm so glad that God loves us like that. Amen. This man made this statement. I'm not going to make it. I'm going to die. Somebody sitting here feels like that. I'm not going to make it. And I could just see the spirit of God coming to you and saying, but I love you. And I have something better. But you have to have the courage to believe in me. You have to have the courage to embrace a change. And some of us in here just need change. We do. Some of us here need a drastic change for our lives. And if you're ready and you have courage enough to to respond to the Lord's call like Saul did, I believe he has that change. He'll initiate it. Someone in this room has the Lord standing in front of you and this is your moment. He's saying, I came here for you. I'm calling your name and I want to help you. I want you to love me. I want you to trust me. I designed you. I made you. I know how to make your life work. But you have to follow me. You have to embrace me. You have to surrender to my Lordship for you. So Andrew's just going to play a few minutes on the guitar, just a couple of moments, really 30 or 40 seconds probably. And we're going to be quiet. And what I'm going to ask you to do is rise to your feet for just a minute. I won't keep you up long, but if you will stand. And you know I don't do this routinely all the time, but today I just feel like I want to do this. I want to afford you the opportunity to come to the front and let me pray with you if there's something going on in your life and you just recognize there's a change that needs to happen and can I throw this out there really quickly don't think because you are a Christian that God doesn't sometimes confront you or me he has to do this with me and say Ken what are you doing this story was that for me Ken I need your attention and there's some changes that I want to initiate in your life I'm a Christian I love the Lord but the Lord was speaking to me and, and hitting home. And so I want to challenge you. If he is saying to you, this is me coming to you. I'm the Lord. And I want you to change. And I want to help you do it. And you would like to pray. As Andrew plays, we're just going to bow our heads and close our eyes. Give a little privacy. Step out.